Welcome to the Rewind Movie Podcast. The following review will contain spoilers, may contain strong language, and possibly some sly guitar. It has always been the privilege of the few to hunt the many. Soldiers, policemen, fighter pilots, men who kill for the government do so with impunity. Now all we do is offer the same opportunity for private citizens such as yourself. Today, as part of our Bargain Bin series, we'll be discussing Hard Target. Starring Jean-Claude Van Damme. What's your involvement here? I was helping her find her daddy. Lance Henriksen. You know why you're here? You paid us a half a million dollars to find out if you're alive or dead. Yancey Butler. Look, I, I really need you to help me find someone. Arnold Vosloo. That's good. I know you wouldn't want to hurt my feelings. And Wilford Brimley. Give me this gun. I think you're all this bad guy. Give me this gun! Directed by John Woo. Hunting season is over. Hello and welcome to the Rewind Movie Podcast. Some friendly advice, listeners. Get the fuck out of Dodge. Do it today and tell that bitch girlfriend of yours to point her titties north and step off the gas. It's a very excited galley in Glasgow. Ah, you stepped on my intro line because I indeed have my titties pointed north and my foot is on the gas. It's Devlin in London. Monty Fupute! It's Patrick from London. Your daddy, he done die in the fire. It's Matt in South Korea. <laughs> you would notice that this has come out of absolutely nowhere. And that is because we realise that this is indeed our 50th episode. We kicked the can round the room and we just thought, for our 50th episode, do we really want to do The Misfits? And I think it was a, it was a unanimous decision that we thought, probably not. Yeah. We couldn't have, have spent our 50th anniversary talking about, you know, the tragic drug-related deaths of several <laughs> of the most prominent members of the Hollywood Golden Era. <laughs> I thought it honestly would have been a little bit of a dice already, you know. Hmm. As we've as discussed last week, all the leaves are dead. Yeah. Do we really uh, do we really want to bum ourselves out anymore? Uh, <laughs> so here comes from John Woo. Oh, speaking of bums, here we go. Well, I mean, we are talking <laughs> about this film. I I, I want to know, right? So, out of all of us, who's not seen this one before? I hadn't seen it. I have an interesting, well, history on this film because I didn't think I'd seen it till it started. Oh, you did a Devlin. You watched it and then realised that. No, you had to uh, it all along. funnily enough, lads, this is where when it started. Oh shit, I have seen this, and it was with you, Devlin, and you, Galley. Oh, wow. um, at the Buckfast Social up in Glasgow when we we got hammered, and then we spent all day eating a munchie box and wa- watching films in your living room, Galley. We watched this then, but I think I was in and out of uh, hungover sleep in the morning at the time. <laughs> you were sleeping on the floor in front of the sofa, I believe. <laughs> yes, I was, <laughs> surrounded by brown food. And, uh, <laughs> I, I think I dipped in and out of it because I was kind of sleepy. What about you, Devs? Oh, yeah, I mean, we, we've watched this many times. I guess that's why we would have picked it for a... Uh, uh, I, I didn't remember that at all, but uh, that does seem... That does sound like exactly the sort of occasion where you would feel like watching this film. I think it's a bit one of those, uh, for me at least, it's one of those kind of old reliables. You know, you go back to it. Uh, it's a, I, I would call it probably a bit of a passive watch sometimes 
which uh, we do quite a few of those kind of films on this uh, on this here podcast. It's always nice to actually go back and watch one of these things properly for the first time in a couple of decades. But um, I remember watching this way back when I was a kid. I think this was one of the many kind of action titles that was on fairly strong rotation. Um, how about you, Matt? Well, yeah, I'd never seen it, but I, I was never really a big JCVD fan. I'm actually calling okay. him that, even though I feel like a bit of a fraud saying that. <laughs> I, I guess like people who know him well would call him that or something. But uh, I was more of an Arnie, bit of Sly, uh, some Seagal. That that was more my cup of tea as a teen. Uh, I do remember seeing Time Cop a little bit earlier than its UK release because we were on holiday in Hong Kong, and they got the movies the same time as America over wow. there, so it was it was out a little bit earlier. Um, I enjoyed that. I remember seeing Universal Soldier and liking it. Uh, Double Impact and the one with Dennis Rodman were kind of on the shelves. Double team. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but for some reason, they, I, they jump out of a plane in a giant basketball. <laughs> I've never seen it. <laughs> <laughs> um, that, that was always on the shelf in my local video shop, but I, I never rented it. Um, my, my friends at school would always talk about the infamous leg break compound fracture in blood sport i'm still never seen it but is that true is does that sound right there's a leg break or an arm break in kickboxer or blood sport or one of these mm. one of these films i think it's blood sport if it's any of them right well they used to talk about that they'd say that was great um uh, i am more of a john john woo fan so it was kind of odd that i'd never put two and two together and watch this one so it was a good a good pick um I, it felt quite familiar to me, like being a fan of Face Off and Broken Arrow and even MI2 mm-hmm. to an extent. It felt like quite a familiar experience. A couple of, um, couple of repeated uh, imagery <clears throat> and, and, and yeah. so on, right? But yeah. John Woo repeated imagery. <laughs> Get out of town. The, the biggest kind of influence that jumped out was, was Woo's uh, Hong Kong stuff, which, uh, yeah, I have a bit of a history of Hong Kong. My uncle lives in Hong Kong. Uh, he joined the police force in his early twenties because he, his eyesight wasn't good enough to join the, the British police and the, the Hong Kong police were more lenient with their. Everything's just a little bit closer. <laughs> yeah. Just a <laughs> closer to the triad. Yeah. A little bit cleaner. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. He's, he's been out there ever since and we've had several holidays there and it's, it's great. So I've, uh, I, I love hard boiled. That's probably my favorite John Wu. Um, so this felt like a bit like that, just a bit more Americanized. And, uh, you know, um, I'd had no previous experience with hard, hard targets. So, uh, I'll, I'll keep any other thoughts for a bit later. So Devlin, I think, I think we need a plot summary before we start talking all things hard target. Have you got one for us? I do. I've got, I've made a stab at the, uh, at, at the plot summary here. Please do call me out if I miss out any of the, the, the important details. The crucial details. Yeah. Deep in the bayou. In New Orleans, a new game is in town. In this unhappy little corner of the planet, where the cops are on strike and the streets are host to a whole swathe of impoverished men and women, Emile Fouchon, is that how we pronounce that? <laughs> Very good. I think so. <laughs> is playing his trade. The trade to facilitate the privileged few in hunting the downtrodden many, leading wealthy patrons armed with powerful weapons to pursue and kill homeless veterans, Fouchon and his cold-blooded sidekick, Pick Van Cleef's business is booming until the daughter of one of their unfortunate quarries, Natasha, comes to town to look for him. She's aided in her search by greasy-haired drifter and the most Belgian Cajun this side of the Mississippi, Chance Boudreau. Uh, as Gara pointed out, he also doesn't know how to pronounce his own name. 
<laughs> so it was chance. It's not chance. <laughs> After he rescues her from a mugging with some exceptionally well-placed face kicking, together they search for her doomed daddy, attracting the attention of the wary Vouchon and Van Cleef along the way. After a hunt goes awry and results in the death of the client, this, combined with the increasing police attention, leads Van Cleef to advise leaving town for some other unhappy burg. However, the wily Boudreaux has other ideas, and a dramatic shootout sees Boudreaux and Natasha head to the woods to seek solace at the home of his moonshine-addled Uncle Dube, <laughs> as a pissed-off Fouchon and a bevy of wealthy hunters tracks them down. A fiery showdown ensues in a warehouse filled with discarded Mardi Gras floats, culminating in Fouchon getting his comeuppance via a hand grenade dropped on his cock. Roll credits. <laughs> yeah. oh. Amazing, amazing. It is an abrupt roll credits, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. It really is. We are very well, much done here, guys. We end on there a is. joke. <laughs> I, I love, you know, we've talked a, a lot about these elevator pitch kind of stories where you, you know, you can say it in one line. I mm-hmm. love this one. I think this is so great. Like men hunting men. And you said it there about, you know, the, the privileged few. Yeah. Hunting the right. downtrodden many. It's just that, that's it. That's all you need to know. The most dangerous game. Boom. Done. Yeah, exactly. Put it into a new setting. We are, we, we are a go. We have a movie. God, how many adaptations of, of the most dangerous game are there? It's basically like a set text at this point, right? It's a really old text, actually, isn't it? It's quite like mm-hmm. 1920s or something. The first, one. I think so. Yeah. 20s, 30s. It's, um, mm. it's like a, uh, I, I don't know, like a, like an island of Dr. Moreau type thing. Like mm. that, you take the basic premise and you just spin it off however you want to do it. But the right. the core of it is, uh, it's interesting that they don't do it on some private deserted island, which is how you usually do this. Mm. You usually sequester it off in a in a space, you know. Mm. Uh, oh shit, there's one a uh, turkey shoot. Did anyone ever see that? Like Australian, no, no. Um, Australian uh, 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 exploitation film from the early eighties, starring uh, Steve Railsbeck from Life Force. Well, they are trying to do something with it. I guess there's a kind of a vague, unexplored commentary on the treatment of ex-army vets hmm. here. And there's yeah. the, the homeless, like somebody says, get a job. You know, one of yeah. the people that we, when we do see someone who lives in uh, New Orleans, uh, <laughs> it, it is largely <laughs> <An> ignored. <extra. laughs> uh, and then even Chance uh, Boudreau himself, like is a, it says he's a former Marine living day to day on the yes. streets of New Orleans. That's what it says in the trailer. So I guess the, there's, there's a sliver of uh, social commentary. I'm not sure who's really aware of it. Is Wu aware or were the script mm. writers aware? But there's something in there. There's a vein. It's, it's certainly um, sidestepping all of the actual sort of thorny issues of ex-service mm. personnel being unable to adjust to society and that causing them untold mental health and substance yeah. abuse problems okay. because pretty much yeah. every homeless person you meet here is pretty chipper. Right, and they've totally got that shit together. Yeah. yeah the the only the only glimpse of people that are not army vets is just that montage of just sad faces. Whilst uh, uh, Yancey but Yancey Butler tries to come to terms with her daddy being homeless, which takes her thirty minutes too long to realise that he's definitely living on the street. That scene where the there's the montage of faces with the narrative over it, it even that feels very almost perfunctory and. As soon as the sequence is over, it quickly fades to black and moving on. Yep. <laughs> Let's get into the film. Okay. Well, the guy who wrote it was um, 
uh, service personnel, wasn't he? That's right. He was a Jesse Ventura style underwater demolition expert mm. in the, in the Navy SEALs. Can I, can I press the devil in Jesse Ventura impression, please? Ah, it's, it's, I haven't done it in so long. You kind of lose it, you know? It's, you have to, it's, it's a muscle that you have to exercise. Um, also my Jesse Ventura impression is just an impression of this incredible comedian, James Adomian's, uh, long running Jesse Ventura impression that he does on the podcast, uh, uh comedy bang bang. Uh, but it, it, I find if you just say Gulf of Tonkin, it kind of works. Yeah. I'm just asking questions. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just asking questions. <laughs> the mind. Just the mind. <laughs> no longer the body. The jumping off point for this film. I think it's really strong because I really enjoyed the premise. And when I told Danielle, she was like, Oh, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I think I'll be in for that. It didn't last very long. I will say that. <laughs> yeah. Well. I have no issues with the concept at all. I think that's a really cool in. Yeah. 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 The opening, the opening's, I love all the imagery with the arrows flying through. Oh, the I thought air. you would Robin Hood. the title. Oh, yeah. no, I was going to get to the Robin Hood. But yeah. <laughs> It's the same shot. Like Robin in, Hood arrow, in, in Robin Hood, it's an optical, apparently. They just, it was an early, yeah. early optical, but this one, it looks like they've got maybe a rig that spins it round. Um, yeah. They, they use brilliant. it a lot. But to have it, um, to have it introduced and to bring in the title that way. Yeah. I, was like, I, I thought it was like, okay, right. Yeah. Here we are. It, we know what's, we know what's going on here. And, and Woo's, Woo's got like, uh, an un, an unhealthy love for just the close up of the gun. Or the weapon. Mm-hmm. There's so mm-hmm. many shots of like sexy gun. I mean, there's a bit where he blows off the dust off his shotgun, and it's like he's made love to it. And even there's and even it, a shot everyone where everyone has reaction shots. Everyone right? reacts to it like, yeah. "Oh wait, he's he's finally back with his his real girlfriend now." Like she uh, looks yeah. at it and goes, "Oh, I can't compete with that." <laughs> yeah, I felt, I felt that bit when he gets his because Uncle Duve says, "I've still got your shotgun here." And you know he he kind of caresses it. It did remind me of Hot Fuzz when um, yeah. when he says I haven't I haven't uh, fired a firearm in years, and he, he shoots it at the fair. Well, that scene is weird because no one speaks, and everyone like you said, it's just reactions for one minute uh, with no no one talking and like slide guitar or whatever it is over it. And there's no relevance because we don't know anything about him or the gun. And he's kind of poetically blowing the dust off it. But I think we needed a scene to set up why that gun was so important or, you know, I, I don't know. It, it killed his daddy. Anything. Like Do you think maybe was, was that a, a, a wooism that he brought in because I don't know, maybe, um, one of the, the kind of great things about, uh, a filmmaker from another culture coming over to make a film, uh, elsewhere is that they may kind of bring some interesting perspectives on it. One might be the fact that like Americans are pretty obsessed with firearms. Mm. So maybe he just thought that all these films need to have shots <laughs> where people look like they want to fuck a shotgun. <laughs> where do you stand on John Woo then? I know that you, you fell out with him around Mission Impossible Galley. How do you feel about him like generally? I think, I think it's, um, it's a generational thing for me. So I loved John Woo films until I discovered Ang Lee. And I know that sounds really harsh and an unfair comparison. <laughs> However, in my small little mind, I was like, oh, here's a proper filmmaker and here's kind of like a trashy one. And I never really appreciated it until watching Hard Target now, mm-hmm. how hard it is to make a film for dummies that is fun <laughs> in a way. Do you know what I mean? Like, and I'm saying that for myself because I, you know, sandwiches out of the box. I really enjoy Hard Target, but I think I'm going to land on the fact that all, for all of his action flourishes, 
it's his lost in translation stuff that I absolutely adore. It's the stuff I love in Face Off. It's John Travolta rubbing his hand against a kid's face. <laughs> weird <laughs> and unusual that, that I enjoy. It's not necessarily a big boat chase. Mm. And in this, it's not necessarily like, yeah, I enjoy Van Damme standing on a bike, no handed and jumping off and going, yeah. Mm-hmm. But actually the things I really enjoy are the stuff where he's trying to shoot normal American life, like in the diner. Where he's like, this gumbo is tragic. How's that gumbo, Chance? A tragedy. The coffee was tolerable, though. It ain't free, neither. Yeah, I know. Leave your wallet in your tuxedo. I played that one on you before. Yeah, for the gumbo. That's right. I see. I'm a I'm a big mm. fan of the the earlier ones. I haven't seen everything, but The Killer, uh, A Better Tomorrow, one and two, and Hard Boiled. Which ha- Hard Boiled, if anyone hasn't seen it and you and you like this film, you should definitely check it out because it almost feels like uh, all the American stuff was like hard boiled, like diluted and and put into several different movies. There's even some stuff in here where uh, they're kind of on opposite sides of a wall, and uh, and then they they yeah. kind of leap forward and and shoot each other that's very face off and that's that's definitely in one of the it's either the hospital scene or the warehouse scene in hard boiled there's an incredible warehouse it's a, it's the hospital scene oh where, it is where they're they're shooting between the glass so it, they essentially yeah. does it again in this yeah. but with obviously a little bit more money and um and and obviously american technicians as opposed to you know, right so, so one of my issues with it was that it did feel like he was doling out things he'd done before to a lesser effect because cause the, the intensity of some of that Hong Kong stuff is just insane. Um, and, and I love Chow Yun-Fat as well. And it, I, I'd take Chow Yun-Fat over Jean-Claude Van Damme. Uh, so uh, although, like, with John Woo's stuff, I do appreciate seeing these stars in in, in John Woo films. Um, it, mm. And it's dumbed down, but in a very watchable way. And I don't think Woo kind of disappoints with the action. He does more of the same, but he doesn't drop the ball, I don't think. Mm. I suppose, I, I guess my, I guess what you look for in a, in a filmmaker is evolution, don't mm. you, as well? So you don't want them to ever stand still. And I think that's probably what happened to John Woo, is he ended up just kind of getting... It's a bit self-parody you know, at times, he, isn't it? Yeah, he got yeah. kind of got to, gotten taken over. And also when you're repeating the same, because those very tropes are the things that got him into the Hollywood system. Some mm. executive would have said, I just watched Hard Boiled. Get that man right now, right. and I want him to make that, but for an American audience. Well, uh, At that point, you know, now it'd be very different. It would be for an international audience. But for them, it would have been, I want that for Western audiences. I, so, of course, you're going to see the same things. But then when you do it in American films over and over again, yeah. so you talk about the back-to-back shot, he does it in this, he then does it in Face Off. Yeah. The the dove thing really ended up <laughs> becoming something of a parody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and pigeons when he can't get doves, just stick a pigeon in. <laughs> the, dirt, <laughs> the dirtiest of doves. Yeah. <laughs> Dirty dove. I think, but the logistics of moving the camera the way he does are really it's really difficult. I think, and the choreography of what's going yeah. on can be really painstaking. And I was really happy because I, I wrote down the words balletic and operatic mm. and then i watched the epk on youtube and lance henriksen says the exact same thing he goes i was i was so happy that i i'd got the same opinion as lance henriksen because he's he's kind of plugging john woo um at that point and mm. 
he does a quote about, I've forgotten what the quote was. I've written it somewhere, but it's about, um, how the action in John Woo films is always, um, you, you know, it's always justified and it's a device for, for saying something, but I'm not sure it's necessarily true with, with hard target. It's a hard target. Um, but there is an art. Lance, you're reaching there. There's an art to what he's yeah. doing. Like the way the camera rises and falls is very subtle at times. He's kind of booming up and booming down. And I, I love it when you can feel a director's hand at work and there's clearly a vision. It's like he's, he's painting on a canvas. And, and when you, when you make a film, you're not on your own. It's a John Woo film, but he has all these departments helping him, but you can still kind of see that there's a, there's a vision behind it. And that's always very exciting to me. He's definitely more Jackson Pollock than he is Turner, though, isn't he? You know, <laughs> throw everything at the canvas. Because another John Wooism that I I always look out for and kind of appreciate the insanity of is yeah, when uh, John Claude Van Damme is on the horse through the, the <laughs> wetlands and everyone's firing at him. These bullets are creating sparks out of the yeah. Bullets, you know? That's a total trademark. Uh, sparks flying everywhere. If you look at the the, the warehouse scene in in um in Hard Boiled, those sparks are identical, Patrick. They're, I think yeah. I think yeah. he's brought the same crew over. Or... Yeah, and uh, you always get like an oil drum that yeah. explodes and flies off in the air. Totally. And mm-hmm. I, I quite like all that because. I'd like to play bingo with John Woo films, you know, have a bit of sheet in front of you and tick off everything as it happens. Right. Cause yeah. I was waiting for the doves in this film and I kind of almost went, Wait, well, there they a are. drinking game would be fun that, that there's a, um, uh, you could play a drinking game with the doubles because there's some very bad doubles in this yeah. one. And in a lot of his <laughs> other films too, you can, particularly the American ones, I think you can, you can detect when it's not cage or not Travolta. Yeah, in this it's the Billy Ray Cyrus stunt double on the bike. It's very obviously <laughs> not very Van Damme. Well, I, I thought he's he was really uh, more like Razor Ramon from uh, WWE. Or possibly because he's quite easy, even bigger. I was thinking uh, maybe Mike Orson. That's a bit of an ECW, uh, <laughs> deep, ECW cut. deep cut. I don't know. <laughs> um, you know what, uh, I, what I read about John Woo's uh, involvement was pretty interesting, which was pretty much like you said, Gary, that they saw kind of this incredible uh, breakout stuff he was doing from from Hong Kong, and that the the president of Universal kind of decided to bring him in. But there was some real trepidation as to whether they would actually allow him to shoot an entire film. There was whether they were going to bring him in and like have him co-direct or possibly even second unit direct or in some sort of advisory capacity. Apparently the producer for this had to really lobby to allow them to, to shoot a, a whole film because, uh, John Woo was the first Chinese filmmaker to ever be given a Hollywood production. Mm which is kind of outrageous considering it's only like 27 years mm. ago. Uh, and when you mention like Ang Lee and it's incredibly influential to think that, you know, that everyone kind of followed in John Woo's wake, which uh, is pretty impressive. And that's why um, uh, Sam Raimi and Robert Tapper are uh, executive producers. Sam Raimi was essentially on set as a standby, as a substitute, because they thought John Woo was going to be overwhelmed and incapable mm. of finishing the film. Mm. I think, um, wasn't it the same on Broken Arrow as well? Raimi and Tappet were on that as well. Or is it this one? I don't remember them on the credits um, for that one. No, I don't know. But it could, it could be something like that. But that, that, at least that explains why Ted Raimi is on set. <laughs> because nothing yeah, else does. And like, we still don't have an explanation. Ain't got no change, man! <laughs> we still don't know why he's in Candyman, but at least we know why he's hanging around on this one for his tough guy fail number two. 
uh, hard yeah. man Ted Raimi. Yeah, but <laughs> his agent must be great because if he's getting in these gigs, I've got no idea how, but he's, he's there. I'd imagine <laughs> his brother's had a word. Yeah. I'm not sure Ted gets... Oh, oh, Candyman on his own steam, so well done, Ted. Mm. <laughs> he's so cool in Candyman. Yeah, the way he sips he really that beer. Is. Especially when he drinks yeah. that beer. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> there, talking of Candyman being our last film, there, there's a double link in this. Yes, film as well, isn't there it? is. Yeah, yeah. Um, Casey Lemons, Casey Lemons. rewind yes, favorite. Yeah. She's the rewind movie podcast top scorer. She's now in the Brecken Meyer list. No, no, she's now qualified, so she's in the Brecken Meyer list. So we can keep adding to that list, which is great. <laughs> and and she's um again pretty thankless role. Uh, kind of dickhead cop turned good by the end. But her arc is weird. Like all arcs in this film, there isn't really one. It's Very sort of like they start, they start an and you only have three scenes. <laughs> it's so difficult, isn't it? Yeah. It's a birthday. She's the only cop, which means that she's got some integrity, but she's a knob. By the end of it, she's willing to die for these people. Mm. I don't know how it happens, but there we go. Patrick, you talked about that opening, and I agree. Really strong. I've talked before about whiplash and tone. Um, anyone else sort of think we've just seen someone horribly die to death and then <laughs> well, do do do. <laughs> like, this is where like we're talking about john woo he's coming over from a different uh you know different country a different culture he's making clearly he's making an american western type film in his mind in the first 30 minutes with the with the plot stuff mm. the tonal shift from dead man dead to well, do, 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 New Orleans, <laughs> and it was it was I, I'd forgotten how jarring it is, and it makes me laugh every time when that music <laughs> just kicks in. The music is is bizarre, isn't it? We, we we go from you know softcore porn to hardcore porn to <laughs> the western to well, there's there's Japanese drumming as well. I think every time that slide guitar comes in, I'm just giggling. Really, yeah. <laughs> Do you think they're doing that just to kind of? Uh, um, we mentioned that they move on from things quite quickly, and they don't dwell on anything that would be considered to be too mega depressing. Do you think it's just the fact that they don't want this to be a downer, and that they want to make sure that people actually kind of skip through it in as in as good a time as you possibly can well, for a film which is about people hunting? <laughs> I think that, that <laughs> with these films, you need a special world opening. Do you remember? Any tutors talking about that? My old B-Tech media tutor, Dave Taylor, would say, start with a punch, end with a flurry. And he'd always talk about the special <laughs> world. So you have to open with something from the what they call the special world uh, with the unkillable Mick Foley uh, style character that, that gets... Oh, okay. Arrowed down. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Happy with Mick Foley. Uh, after, I had, yeah. I had it as uh, Kurt Russell. I was like convinced <laughs> that they, that they were just trying to kill Kurt well, Russell. Well, he wanted Kurt Russell. He was his, um, Wu wanted Russell. Uh, he was his top choice, apparently, but, um, it didn't yeah. work out. But anyway, like, so once you start with a scene like that, you have to sort of nudge the tone a little bit in, into where it really, um, should be. So I, I felt like I didn't really know what the film was until that happened. So it's kind of a given that you have to begin with some kind of an action scene, things exploding, someone being killed or a pursuit or something. But once it, it, once that slide guitar comes in, the bit that Gally's just referring to, you kind of know where you stand at that point. So the tone is everywhere, but it's quite consistent with the tone after it shifts there for the first time. It it sticks with the funny kind of... uh, (laughs) Uh, chance stuff after that. Mm. Well, I wonder if it's emblematic of the push and pull between this being a John Woo film 
and a Jean-Claude Van Damme film mm. because that, that, that was also playing on my mind as I was watching it. I was like, is this scene for Van Damme and then this scene's for Wu? And it felt like that, that was what, what I justified the inconsistency of the tone. Yeah. As being, but also just the idea of it being slightly lost in translation again, because the way that people behave in this film is not normal. Um, <laughs> certainly not normal to my eyes. Anyway. Well, there's a weird <laughs> thing that goes on with foreign directors when they make American films, because you get this odd tone, but you also get this weird clarity that comes from, from telling a story with pictures, because they're not reliant upon, like, like Devlin said when he was talking about Wu's, um, he's perhaps not, a um, the most articulate. I mean, I don't know if he, if he can even speak English particularly well at this point, but, um, he's relying completely on the images. So you get this weird mm. tone, but you also get a, a really strong visual thing that you could, you could watch with the sound off and you'd still understand it. I and mean, it's not particularly challenging, but I think you could probably follow it. Do you think, um, do you think that's why you went down the Western route, um, at the beginning of the film with with the tone and, and the sound. Like an archetype the, using that. Well, you know, it's someone from Far East coming to West and uh, maybe he's grown up watching Western films. And that would, yeah, that would make a lot of uh, sense. That's what I was thinking when I was watching it, but I don't know whether anyone's got any information on that. Well, no, I think that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And also look at Van Damme. He is, uh, he's, we've already said, he's got basically no backstory. So he's essentially the... Yeah, he's the the man with no name uh, in the yeah. film, isn't he? As, uh, well, he has got a name. He can't say it right. But um, you know. <laughs> well, I saw that somewhere that they wanted it to be like the Sergio Leone uh, spaghetti westerns in in the sense. Well, there's a musical yeah. cue as well. There's a there's a they. It's almost like they've done a Vanilla Ice remake of uh, <laughs> Once Upon a Time in the West. Yeah. They just changed the note ever did so it, slightly. Did it changes. It's not the same. <laughs> Yeah, it, it, it is like that. And they, they, he's kind of like the man with no name, but he, he's really, there's not really much about him either. I don't really care with Clint Eastwood. He's kind of cool enough to get away with it, but, um, I, I thought we should maybe know a bit more about Chance. We, we don't really get a serious, com- you know, like all the conversations have a quip or something mm, yeah. to make him cool. You know, there's no normal conversations. Well, hardly. Um, so I think he, he suffers from that as well, Matt, is my. Yeah, well, the key for me was that there's a scene on the docks where, um, I just want to talk about that scene where they're, they're shifting the blue barrels over. Oh, and yeah. that was the first big laugh for me because we <laughs> yeah, talk yeah. about establishing tone, but it's an extension of, um, that, that cut from Mick Foley to, 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 to chance the first time. It's an extension of that. And it takes Wu a little bit longer than Catherine Bigelow, for example. We talked about Point Break and the 100% Utah. She does it straight away. But in this one, uh, it takes until those blue barrels, I think, and he he kind of jump cuts in like twice or more, and then there's a slow motion walk, and then that slide guitar yeah. comes in again. And of course, like Natasha is in love with him already, just completely spellbound. Um, and then I knew then what we were watching. I was totally locked in then. But there's there's an interesting thing like where if that was Chow Yun Fat on a uh, on on a on the docks in Hong Kong at midnight with sunglasses and a toothpick and a trench coat. And there's like a biker gang and, uh, you know, there's a Cantonese actress in a convertible, you know, and the same thing happens with the same coverage. It, it plays much cooler and, and much more interesting than, than it does in Hard Target. There's something about it that plays as funny. But if it was one of the old Hong Kong action films in the vein of a, of a, 
a hard boiled, then you'd probably be more likely to go with it. Is that because Van Damme brings baggage? As in, we know him. We know him from he's he's a action star, so therefore there are expectations. Whereas with a Chow Yun Fat, you know, at that period we would have he would have just been well, yeah, diff- different expectations, a, a vestige of cool. Yeah, we know he's yeah. yeah. They're both trying to be cool, but I I think I'm, I'm more likely to go with go with Chow Yun Fat at that point. Not just the mullet. <laughs> yeah, the mullet doesn't help, does it? This, this mullet reminds me of Soul Glow. Just The colour of that coat must be fucking minging. <laughs> Can I talk about one of my, uh, I know we don't, we're probably a bit early for favourite scenes, but there's so many in this. Yancey Butler, who plays Natasha, um, the daughter trying to find her daddy. Um, she she's dreadful in this and i feel really bad for her because i think she's trying but she is god awful but one of the things that the script does not help her with is that she is about as as dumb as johnny utah it takes her so long to register that her daddy is homeless but there's one bit when she's talking to the army vet uh who's got the most sympathetic eyes and it definitely works because i feel bad every time he gets shot to death yeah Um, he sa- he says, uh, right. I was in this, I was in, she's like, um, oh, my daddy was in the service. And he's like, oh, I was in the service too. And she goes, really? He's wearing an army jacket, <laughs> love, sweet. <dear." laughs> like, oh, I was laughing my head off. And it takes us so long to register these well, things. Well, at least she's it's not a detective. Well, got... it's also no, that no. galley in, in the kind of story setup. For, you talked about making films kind of, that are really, really, really easy, easily accessible for people. There's the shot, the slow shot to his dog tags on the wall that says, oh, there should be two. <laughs> you know, like, come on, we fuck, fuck it up. Come on, give us some respect. He's led to that revelation by a friendly dove. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and carry a pigeon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm going to piss myself when he's got the pigeon on his shoulder when he's whistling to you. Oh, what is going on right now? Cause you talk to tonal shift, Matt, when they get in the foot in the woodlands, the wetlands at the mm. end. And he grabs that snake. From then on, it's just mental. Oh, yeah, <laughs> well, yeah, we've we've gone we've gone an up up another level at that point, haven't we? I was also, you know, the whole film it, for thirty minutes, we get a bit of plot, don't we? And there's some mystery. They they are hanging their hats on this dog tag with a hole in it, and I was like, yeah, but he was an army vet. He very well might have taken a bullet to the like the way he's like. Bingo! I got it. It's like <laughs> your, your father was murdered. No, he sounds Mexican. It's like your daddy was murdered. It's like really, you got murdered because there's a hole in his dog tag. Like I mm. need more than that. Yeah. I need more than that. <laughs> bingo! <laughs> you know, Patrick, you were talking about how uh, Chance has to have uh, a funny quip. There's one, I don't know if you guys registered it. It never lands, and I always laugh because Van Damme twitches as if it's supposed to be funny. <laughs> and it always registers as a thud. When he, uh, when he's had his, um, arse handed to him, and he's been beaten up, and he jumps in the car, and she says, like, oh, we need to get you to the doctor. And he just said, never like those damn doctors. And that's supposed <laughs> to be the line. Uh, yeah. He winks, he winks, and then she reverses. And that's, uh, that, I think that was supposed to be like, Oh, you're so funny. I'm glad you mentioned the winks and the twitches because it's so odd that he's winking like maybe five times over the course of the film. And some of them are just half winks. They look really bizarre. Like, did he wink then? 
And it's not a confident <laughs> it's got, it's got a spasm. Yeah. It's a twitch. It's almost like he, he must have done a line of uh, something before the scene <laughs> well, and then just had a little twitch. I thought he was trying to develop a signature move, like that would be his thing, like the wink uh, or something like that. But it, mm. it didn't really work. <laughs> when they go to drive off with her as well, and she goes, you could drive. He goes, I don't have a driving license. <laughs> <laughs> he calls her ma'am as well. Again, ma'am. It's just, he has a little moment and like of almost pain and sorrow mm. in himself that he can't draw like yeah. and it's, it's so unnecessary weird. I, like, I, I like that bit yeah. i like the, the, the <laughs> little bits like this i don't the, the one thing that i always thought you know uh matt you were talking about that you were never really a jcvd fan but that you kind of had a uh you know you had other action stars you were a fan of. i guess like there was always the the top tier schwarzenegger uh, stallone then you had like uh willis who was kind of half in half out because he did other stuff. And then the next tier down was Seagal and JCVD. And out of the two of them, I always much prefer Jean-Claude Van Damme, because at least he looks like he's enjoying himself. Mm, there, there was yeah, something about Seagal's films that, that, like, Under Siege, I'd argue Under Siege is as good as anything Jean-Claude Van Damme made. I'd, I'd argue Ooh. that. The first Under Siege. Are you being blinded by Boosie, though? I mean, I could be blinded. If by you Busey. put Boosie in a Van Damme film, does that change? I tell you what, <laughs> that <laughs> might tip it. You know, <laughs> I think the film. Yeah, I think the film of of, of Under Siege is, uh, is there's a lot of fun stuff in it, but I think it just his laziness. Um, his his he doesn't want to be there. Middle and also just his laziness and his conviction that he's like the coolest shit, but with no evidence on screen to back that up, which makes it kind of funny how like. You know, Jean-Claude Van Damme is trying all the time. He's putting everything into I, it. I do think there's a lot of fueling the ego of the star here. It's it's carrying on from what we talked about on Under Siege 2 a bit. I, I think there's a lot of looking off into the mid-distance and squinting and things like that. Yeah. Uh, and he, he, you're right, he does have the physicality that Seagal lacks. He can do spinning kicks. He can do flips over fire and... He can do spinning kicks. I didn't, I didn't realize. He can, he can do a triple axle over a, a papier mache <laughs> clown yeah. head. That goes back to the Western thing though for Wu, Matt. If he is, that's what he's going for. He's, he's making a hero out of him. Yeah. And trying, yeah. But you can't, you can't, if you sense that someone's trying to do it, it kind of, def- it, it, you know, dilutes it a bit. I think, I think Van Damme doesn't have enough charisma i mean seagal doesn't either i don't know why i'm comparing it it's not really making my case any stronger here but like i think there's a lot going on with Wu's direction and all of those distracting bells and whistles are to uh to distract and it does feel like Wu is kind of like grabbing the film like the celluloid and wringing it dry and like ev- mm. everything is very heightened and a lot of it is to take away from uh, from uh van damme i think but it, to, to try and give him something around him to work with i agree with that and 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 oddly what the most memorable thing about hard target is the villains which we always you Mm. you know i think we always say like you know a film like this is is predicated really on some memorable villains and this film has definitely got it in uh, the shape of old lance henriksen and uh, and arnold vosley who i think uh as a dynamic pair as interesting as anything else in the film, I kind of would have liked to film where we saw them on their adventures as they hunt the homeless. Rendell, Rendell, Rendell. There's, there's a really nice moment between them, Gally, when he says, looks like we'll get one more hunt after all, pick. 
And yeah. I really like that. It's, it's kind of cool. I love it. I love, uh, Lance's gun as well, which is really good. Single shooter. It's a really cool thing. <laughs> you call it a pea shooter, Gally. It's a real flex in it to only have one bullet at a time. Exactly. Yeah. It tells you everything you need to know about the man. Also, his piano playing also tells you that he is yes. a very serious individual. How dare it's you the... enjoy high culture? You are definitely a bad <laughs> bastard. It, it's the least believable, <laughs> furious piano playing. Like I've ever seen. He's clearly not. While looking at himself in the mirror. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's kind of gazing off, but he's playing really like frantically. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't buy it. I, I, you know, but that was one of my favorite scenes anyway. The, the, the trope of the villain playing the piano is very Bond mm. villain. It's very Drax from Moonraker. It's, it's intercut. Yeah. I like how it's intercut yeah, with the other yeah. stuff as well. The That's one little cool. bit of trivia that I read about was that it was actually originally, the original cut of the film had it intercut with, I mean, this is again speaking to the dummies in the back row. Uh, it was intercut between uh, not just what we see uh, in the film, but also animals being hunted. So just in case ah. you didn't get it, uh, they had like, you know, safari animals okay. being hunted. So you're like, oh, <laughs> big game that, that hunting, I get it. But <laughs> here's a question. Does does Lance Henriksen do that for every client? Like, here's, here's how we're going to do it, pick. You bring him in, tell him the rules. I'll be playing very aggressively on the piano. Yeah. And then walk him in, sit him down, and I'll <laughs> turn around as if I didn't even know he was there. Because that's what he does. I wanted a bit more of that because like, the concept was the, one of the most interesting things to me. And I think I've mentioned it on something else before. Um, the way Hostel 2 deals with the concept of you know, this, a similar kind of thing. Um, you know, there's, uh, this idea in, in hard target where the guy won't finish the victim. He's, he's shot him, but he's not dead. And he uh, approaches mm. him again and they say, finish him because you have to do it like legally as far as the contract goes, because he could then go off and, and talk about these guys or mm. whatever. So in, in hostel two, they have to get tattoos, uh, as part of the, the binding contract that you have to get a tattoo to say that you've, that you've been part of, of this thing. It's, it's, it's explored more thoroughly, like the bidding on the victims and the idea that one nationality of victim is worth more than another. For example, an American blonde female is the top tier of what the, the, the sickos yeah. will pay for to torture. So I wanted a bit more of, of, of that really. I thought that, that could have been explored a bit more with Henriksen. No, I agree. I, I would have also liked to see in like how they, um, you know, who these people are that want to, do this yeah you know, they're not just loaded yeah. like what is their background because mm. if you did this now it would be like sir philip green of uh, arcadia mm-hmm. group right. would like to also murder his staff well isn't there a thing like, at the moment <laughs> with eddie izzard as like a, a a rich um aristocrat and he's out hunting he's hunting people Oh, I'm not I, sure. I saw a trailer for it or something. I, I shouldn't have said because i don't i don't know what the name of the trailer was but it's eddie izzard what? he's like out um He's dressed like, uh, you know, in uh, barber or tweed and he's, he's out hunting. Right. And I felt like this maybe had a similar vein to it, but, um, I've only seen the trailer. I guess it was explored a lot in the Hunger Games, slightly different with yeah. the idea of keeping society down. Yeah. This is more personally driven as in those people that go out and, and scumbags that go out and kill like elephants in, in a national park. Well done you. You know, but it, at least it would have been, it would have been interesting for them to tap into that side a little bit more. Even, even make it like, Gary, even explore kind of something that's not in the real world as well. That's a bit dystopian or running man, you know, that has a, 
a, a proper political charge to it would have been because I, I like the concept of the film. I was just going to say, I, I think they, uh, they probably, by the sounds of it, pruned an awful lot out at virtually every stage of, uh, of the process here. So I think there was probably more in the script, which got hacked away. And then I think there was more that they shot. And then that was also hacked away because the film is super quick, uh, at the, ex- at, at the expense in some cases of coherence because it's trying to just be very kinetic. And uh, I, I think we probably had bits and pieces that were going to give us more backstory, but um, I think they were, yeah. If they were ever shot, they were certainly hacked away in service, keeping it fair. I think, uh, I think Matt, we may have another mullet contract that means that you get final cut, right? <laughs> right. Did you you, you found the, this out? Yeah, it, it's true. It, it's He got screwed over again in the edit. Um and recut, I guess, but I'd, I'd like to have seen some of that extra Henriks and stuff. Yeah. So that was, that was the, that's the story, Devlin, is that, um, the, the film ran at two hours and it concentrated a little bit more on Lance Henriksen. Right. And Just like the Rickman, uh, Costner fiasco. I know exactly. But unfortunately, as I said, the mullet clause, which is if you are the main actor with a mullet, you get final cut. So Van Damme went back in yeah. and re-edited it. And I guess he was probably trading off the fact that he did this with Bloodsport. So he was like, I know what I'm doing. Yeah. So let me edit my film. <laughs> uh, and he, he got final edit on this one. So yeah, John Woo, unfortunately, wow. not the film, uh, so the full film. He had some power then. He had enough power to get it. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. Well, this is the height of the Van Damme, right? I mean, when's Time Cop? Two years after? So, yeah, so this is like, uh, this is right in the middle of his, of his purple patch. So he's had his kind of video breakthrough, no retreat, no surrender, blood sport, cyborg, all that shit. And then double impact <laughs> with, uh, with, yeah, double impact. He, they let him direct it. So you know, that's, and then Universal Soldiers are hit. So it goes Universal Soldier, Nowhere to Run, Last, he's, appears as himself in Last Action Hero. Oh yeah. Which yeah, yeah he would does. suggest that in 93 when this was out. And, and in Friends as well, about 97, 97 <laughs> yeah, 96, 97. It's quite that. a quick drop off, cause he, he does Nowhere to Run, Last Action Hero, and Hard Target, and then next year, 94 is Time Cop and Street Fighter. And then it sort of starts on the wobbles. He's on like Sudden Death and Maximum mm. Risk and Double Team and, uh, and then he directs the quest, which Gally, I keep telling you to watch because it's fucking mental. <laughs> we, I will watch it. I promise. Uh, you. And then you know, a couple of years later, he's he's you know he's doing like replicant, and it's it's uh. Don't forget derailed. Well, there. One year later, he's in derailed, and I mean, like that's mm. a real drop off there. No one's mentioned Street Fighter yet for John Clover. Yeah, no. it was it was, uh, it was sandwiched between this and 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 Time Cop. But I think that was probably, um, I think Street Fighter was the debacle. I think that was such a fucking coke-fueled mess that that was possibly what precipitated the downfall. Um, did you see any of the behind the scenes on YouTube? There's a good electronic press kit and he, there's a good quote from Van Damme where he says, uh, it's a great match. It's like the princess from the castle meet Robin Hood. So that was his, <laughs> his assessment of what's going on. Here. Uh, I, I do think like he's referred to, I think in the trailer as the ultimate protector. And, uh, or the, the making of, and my, my thoughts just went to Terminator straight away. And I think that's reserved for the T-800, the, the ultimate protector, but yeah. who knows? Mm. But, but, um, I think there's a lot of ties to, to, to his aspirations here. He's not Mr. Universe, but he's not afraid to do the Arnie stuff. You know, he, he tenses at one point before the grenade slingshot. 
Yeah. Bit, and you sort of, it's, there's a close up on his muscles. Uh, and the, the making of ends with him saying, trust me. Um, and it's, it's very clear who he's aspiring to be. You, you know what? Now you, now you're talking about Arnie comparisons. There's a bit of commando in this because he takes a beating. Mm. That's where my opening line came from. Get out of Dodge <laughs> by, uh, by the Randy Savage, uh, sort of <laughs> imitator. And, uh, and he does take a beating, but just like Arnie does in Commando, where it's like he fights a little bit, but then there's just too many of them, and he gets yeah, uh, it's overpowered. I think it's the the baseball bat to the leg yeah. is the one where you're like, oh yeah, that, so would that, take that hit is you can tell that's where they busted the rubber baseball bat, and they crooked for the rest of the season. But wasn't it cool that they made him fallible at least? Because Seagal would never have been yeah. hitting the kneecap; he would have vetoed that immediately. Well, yeah. It's when he gets uh, they get the drop on him and strangle him as well. Like, yeah, you know, so it, it does show that he's you have to show he's fallible because yeah. you know. Seagal would wouldn't admit to being shot, so imagine, I don't imagine that he'd he'd have a scene like that in one of his films. One of the one of the scenes that I think does really work, and it plays at the the idea of why these people would even entertain the idea of being chased down, possibly to their death for money, mm. is when Lance Harrington starts goading him. Is like you could look people in the eye, be a, be a man again. What do I have to do? The rules of the game are very simple. All you have to do is get to the river. Ten miles through the city, you and the money belt make it to the river. You're ten thousand dollars richer. Bullshit. Maybe you like being the object of pity, begging for quarters, sleeping in the rain, listening to a half an hour of fire and brimstone for a bowl of soup. Man, fuck you. You could change everything tonight. Think of what ten thousand dollars could buy you. You could get new clothes, clean yourself up. Look men in the eyes when you pass them on the street. This money could make you a man again, instead of the shadow of your former self. You know, he almost makes it. He makes it back to you know to civilization, but unfortunately. Oh, and that's it. That's the heart wrenching stuff, yeah. isn't it? And John Woo loving a bit of sentimentality when he's just like, "Help me, man, help me!" And he really does drive that home, yeah. doesn't he? What he's like. What is going on with the bouncer who locks him out? It looks like Melissa McCarthy in like a giant stick on mustache. Somebody just shouts, uh, get a job at him at one point. No one's helping him. Get a job. Get a job. You're bad. (laughs) But I I was going to, I had that in my nitpicks as a scene that I didn't particularly, um, like because I I like the image of him being shot down though. Like that's no, I, I, I just thought. Because it's too similar to the, to the opening. It's like, I've seen what this gang do. I understand what's happening. But what you said there, Gally, about seeing him convinced, uh, uh, you know, to take the money belt and, and how that would function. So yeah. I think that was, that was kind of worth it. I also didn't really like how, uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme disappears for like 15 minutes. There could have been, it's, it's too long. It, it really disrupts whatever they're trying to, to do but um they could have shortened it a bit i thought but uh, well and the lack of backstory means that when he's so cut up you know we know that they know each other because chance knows everyone in new orleans it seems like literally everyone knows him there's no way he'd be allowed on the crime scene like that oh yeah (laughs) you know so i just think that you know all it all that take matt i think to solve that is him to witness this from afar but say we can't we're outnumbered we can't go for right yeah i can't intervene Instead, it's all about that bloody dog tag. 
bingo. <laughs> yeah. bingo. What a clue. The smoking gun. <laughs> yeah. Just um, going back to the scene where they're convincing uh, uh, Elijah to take the, the money belt. Yeah. One thing I noticed, um, I watched this twice. I watched it um, over two nights in the week, and then I watched it last night kind of in one sitting, and I enjoyed it a lot more the second time. I guess, you know, we'll get to that in my conclusion. But what I noticed uh, is that the lighting in that sequence is great in the in the train yard. And they've got those mm. kind of blue lights all in, in all of these mm. uh, little areas. And they've got, got some sort of like, I think like a reflecting pool in some of them. So you've got like a like yeah. reflected light coming off water. <laughs> I did notice that. Cinematographer is, is um, cinematographer of one of Matt's favorite films. Oh, yeah. Who is he? Titanic. Oh, really? What a joy. Russell, Russell Carpenter. He knows how to do water glistening. <laughs> well, did you see all of the candles lit as well? Who lit all those candles? Who lit all those candles in the whole graveyard? Where did they come from? <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was funny. That's so stupid. <laughs> well, Matt, what's the quote about, um, oh, about cinematographers? He says, um, about where's where the they're... light coming from? The same place as the music. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Is when he he and her are talking in a re- in a bar, and they're really harshly lit on one side with oh, blue as well. Blue, yeah, yeah. Mm. It's kind of you know it, it's kind of interesting. Yeah, I, yeah. It, it's heightened. What were you saying, Matt? That you know the idea. Oh, of like, all woo stuff is heightened. Yeah, to just yeah. We're not in the real world. It's fine. No. no, we're not. I mean, and if you did think if you thought you were in the real world, then the, there's an early scene when she goes to visit her old house, and it is like the most glistening white smoky room that she sat down with that old lady oh, yeah. well, you said that I that felt to... a bit dreamlike didn't you oh well well that was it so one of the things that uh, american audiences didn't abide by in the testing was the fact that john woo loves the dissolve <laughs> and i i have been conditioned to think that dissolves just like uh like the test audiences normally mean a dream or a passage uh, of time or, or you're entering a passage of time whereas john Wu uses it to go from scene to scene which makes it really difficult well, I, i've had a shift recently because i used to like them off on one of the podcasts but the, yeah. the, the dissolves in this did drive me crazy but um I've, I've sort of reassessed them i watched suspiria the remake of suspiria which i'm still thinking about it just torments me and hereditary for the second time and the shining for like the thousandth time. And they all have these long, slow dissolves that kind of fade from one image to another. And you can be really clever with the composition going from one thing to another. It's almost like a cut if you go slow enough. Yeah. But so I think there are exceptions, but when they use these dissolves to cover for something that clearly won't cut together uh, or just using it stylistically um, without really much weight behind it, that's when I start to, get frustrated with it and i felt that a bit when she was looking for the house at the beginning there's also i don't know if you re- remember it there's a couple of wipes the editing <laughs> in this is very weird there, there are there's screen a wipes. Of wipes it's, it's around the shotgun there's scene screen. that we talked about yeah around there <laughs> but that fade to black as well that we spoke about with the homeless montage it's yeah really yeah jarring. we you, yeah. you really are like covering for the fact that you didn't know how to finish the scene yeah <laughs> I, I did see a lot of uh robert rodriguez in it uh desperado 1995 he talked about being influenced by John Woo's Hong Kong stuff. So that kind of feels like in a, a, another dimension, like the, the, the exploitation version of what he was doing in Hong Kong. And there's a lot of stylistic mm. dissolves in there. And a lot of the staging of like in the bar, Antonio Banderas in the bar. 
Um, it, it feels straight out of those, those Hong Kong films. But I, I, again, I liked, I think I liked Desperado quite a lot more than this one. One of the things that, uh, Danielle did say, and excuse my language here, listeners, is she, she was, she was not happy with the lack of people in New Orleans. So I had to do a little bit of a check of like, what was the population in 93? And then also she, she basically just said, there's no <laughs> about it. <laughs> Literally just like, where is everyone? They keep talking about, it. they, they've got this like little, they've got one scene, blink if you miss it. The police force are on strike. Uh, Lance Hamrickson says that they go to these corners of the world where there's strife so they can kind of plod their trade yeah. without questions being asked. They've got the doctor who's, um, who's on the payroll. And that's enough for them to the do doctor, what they do. Poundland Robert De Niro. <laughs> oh, I'm glad you spotted it. it he's Jimmy yeah. Conway from Goodfellas. <laughs> yeah, he is. <laughs> he gets whacked through a Today. people. <laughs> Today. <laughs> but um, one of the things that she couldn't abide by was just the sheer lack of people. So, Patrick, here's a question for you, because we might not be in the know. How expensive or inexpensive is it? to get crowd because clearly uh, yeah. they didn't have the budget to fill New Orleans with anybody apart from a couple of box removers during the big cardboard box. <laughs> oh, the cardboard box. <laughs> no it's one's going to crash through that. Pad, yeah. <laughs> that I, I was trying to count it when, when we spoke about it earlier. There's that, there's the dockyard. You've got some able seamen. Yeah. There. <laughs> Uh, semen, giggles. <laughs> and, um, there's the people when he, uh, what's his name gets gunned down in the street. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but they disappear real quick. Well, they're, they're kind of not there at the beginning of it. They're there conveniently to be witnesses and then they go. I can assume that's supposed to be like Bourbon Street in the French Quarter on a night time. Yeah. The, yeah, there's yeah. like 30 people out having a drink. There's, there's Arnold Vosloo is able to then grab the money. No questions asked. No witnesses. Yeah. See you later. Well, what's the, what's the budget of the film? Do we know? Oh, uh, he's something. testing me here because I never look. 30-something uh, million. And I imagine he spent, the, the, you know, the majority of that spent on yeah, Van Damme. Only 19. 19? Wow. Yeah. So, yeah, I would go budgetary, Gally, but it could also be, I, I don't know much about John Woo. I'd have to watch his films from Hong Kong. Like, how many extras does he have in? Yeah, one of the things about, like, Hard Boiled is that, uh, and uh, The Killer, is there's collateral damage. Wow. I don't know whether it was like a, maybe it was a, a censorship thing where with the ratings like oh you can't have like people innocent people getting gunned down but happy for the homeless like i don't know whether that was the case but it is it's so it's so prominent the fact that there is nobody around like when when he's on the highway and he's doing his little bike trick there's a couple of people doing some cement work in the background and they bugger off real quick and then that is it in the bar at the beginning when his introductory scene yeah but, you know, it, it but when he's in the street getting, doing his face kicking, there's only the people whose faces he's kicking and two lads having a little watch from some chairs. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That would be anyone who's been in the secondary school fight. Everyone would be going around going, fight, fight, <laughs> fight, fight. What? There's no one around. Yeah. It, it could be monetary uh, because it's just increased staff. So. Yeah. They might have the, the, the way you get around that is you, you place this in an, in an, in a time, some way in the, you just say in the future, some in New Orleans and that's it. That's enough to say, oh, right. Okay. No one's around because there is no dystopian future here. It's just that, <laughs> but even in with... Jack, you know, when he was getting hunted down, he was running through crowds of people yeah. and returning to the same cafe to ruin the same guy's dinner. <laughs> 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 we had those fun interaction and collateral things, which 
yeah, this is sorely lacking. Hello, listener. We'll be back in a few moments' time to continue our discussion on Hard Target after these important messages. A new and improved movie podcast with a secret ingredient, Paul and Griff. Now, let's go over to our test audience. Love that joker. Uh-oh. They don't look happy. They've been listening to Brand X. But with the Paul and Griff show, you'll have a grin again and again and again. <laughs> Amazing trivia, quizzes, and the very best insights into your favorite films. <laughs> I know what you're saying. Where can I listen to this fine movie podcast? Well, that's the gag. Chances are, you already have the application. Love that joke. So search for the Paul and Griff show wherever you get your movie podcast. And remember to put on a happy face. <laughs> I do like, as far as the action, I like the double denim slow-mo jump onto the trunk of the car. And, and, and he kind of kicks the bloke off a motorbike. That was a good bit. Uh, and I thought there was a bit of a Delta Force style thing, Chuck Norris thing, where he stands on the motorcycle as well. Yeah. Oh, but the motorcycle is hilarious. That's they've, quite good. And they've chopped it all up in the edit. Mm. to make it more frenetic but i think that's kind of a shame because clearly they actually did that for real yeah I don't know why oh you, you mean the that. the stunt itself yeah, yeah i would have liked to have seen it in a one yeah it it could be that in a, in a wide or something it looks slower than it is or something right. that may be trying to add some energy but that's the only thing i can think if he actually did it um, or he didn't do it. Mike, Mike somebody did it oh uh, razor ramon did it ramon did it yeah mm. Or Van Damme's in the editing suite and goes, that doesn't look like me. <laughs> so they've just, they've just cut it, he's just cut it down and done, I'll just get the back bit with the mullet and that's it. There was an odd moment where they jumped onto the train as well and conveniently don't break their spines. <laughs> but he <laughs> said, he says, uh, <laughs> in the, in the, in the pillow truck. <laughs> yeah. He says ladies first, but it's, it's cheeky. I don't know if he's trying to be funny or whether he's just being cowardly. But, no, I, mean, uh, I think he's challenging her. I think he's oh. just kind of like, I think it, I saw that as he was challenging her and she was like, what the fuck? He was like, oh. he, I, I'm surprised he didn't go, only joking. <laughs> and then like jump himself. But when they jump on that train, it reminded me of Taken when that guy is running away from the airport. Yeah. Uh, and, and he lands on a soft cushioned lorry uh, yeah. at the bottom, but then dies anyway. <laughs> fuck that guy. There was also going to be a boat chase at the end. That's how it was originally going to end. Oh, wow. And they... What, on the, uh, on the wetlands? Would it be on, the, uh, on, on airboats with the big fans on the back? Cause that Are you talking Police Academy 5 I, in I, the Everglades? Oh, yeah. oh, mission to Miami, baby! <laughs> the, uh, but that would they, have been so good. He, he actually, I think it was budgetary, but they moved it to face-off. That's why there's a boat chase at the end of yeah, face-off, because yeah. he just budged it over to that. Uh, can I talk I about the, my favorite was... moment with that, which was Lafour's death? You know, Lafour's from Mallrats, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And, and he so gets distracting, isn't he? Once you realize that <laughs> he is Lafour's with that ridiculous movie. shirt, and there's like a slow motion zoom into the eyes, and he he does like an upside down. It's the one with the upside down handgun. It's like pew pew pew. He's yeah. firing it like like oh, that, yeah. and I, it's like the first time I've ever seen that done. But Presumably because it looks so stupid, like nobody's ever done it before because it's so ridiculous. 
and he apologizes Did, sorry about the shirt you must have uh you i mean it felt like it was very much pointed at arnie right he was the cigar the shirt the haircut yeah. I, I I assume that they were making a uh, bit of a point. Or... Well, isn't Sven Thorsen? That's his that's his gig, right? He's famous for being a guy who knows Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, well, and he's Lafords as well. I mean, come on, David, he's right. Lafords. Well, I didn't yeah. know the Arnie thing. That's pretty. That's cool. Maybe he is subliminally killing off Arnie. <laughs> I think so. Because doesn't he also give him a kick? He gives him the famous Van Damme he kick he, after he, shooting he, him he, many times. Yeah. It's the funniest moment in the film for me. That and the snake. I think those, those are the, t- the top two. Snake. Oh, God. No, um, Matt, my, my favorite shot in the whole film is Uncle Doobie, uh, riding away <laughs> oh, in <yeah>. slow motion. <laughs> yeah. I do. With his little bow and arrow. Yeah. Is it the bow and arrow and the dungarees? Is it? That's what's doing it. I was absolutely wetting myself at that image. Like great imagery. (laughs) Um, That and like if we're talking imagery, Lance Henriksen wrestling a coat on fire. Yep. uh, Yeah. Was pretty fucking impressive. With his fire retardant uh, gel jelly on him. Mm, not on his face and he is swinging that coat right in front of his face i know i know they said that was an accident trivia fans that they said that was uh that wasn't meant to catch fire in the way it did and lance just kept on going uh like a pro he he did a great job there lance as you can see it's him for once because some of the burns are really badly done there's a burn that goes on later uh around the wilford brimley bow and arrow stuff where, oh, yeah. where a, a building explodes and there's yeah. a guy that's set on fire and he has a mask on to protect himself. He looks like Freddy Krueger. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it doesn't even look yeah. human. The silly rattlesnake scene is great, but it's not the rattlesnake that gets me. It's her thinking that Van Damme's going to give her a kiss before. <laughs> yeah. It actually makes me, I'm like, you're a grown woman. Cause what we haven't talked about is in this film is that they've written her. You remember we talked about, um, his daughter. Being, uh, play, you know, 18 playing nine. Yeah. Yancey Butler's got the same thing as Taken here with, uh, with Kim, where she's like, she's I don't know how old she is, but she keeps, yeah, she keeps referring to her dad as daddy. I'll let that one pass. Or it is weird because everyone keeps calling when they refer to him and they keep saying, her daddy. your daddy, your dad, your daddy got burned real bad. <laughs> <You're> like, <laughs> you yeah, wouldn't speak to her like that. So but then, She's also playing it so young because when he's like, do you trust me? He's like, oh, he's about to kiss me. Like, <laughs> close, close your eyes. And obviously it's all about the rattlesnake yeah, and that reaction. Why would she, why would she then have her lips puckered ready for a good snog whilst they're being chased? And then, she- and then the rattlesnake. Oh, what a reaction. Yeah. Her eyes are so big <laughs> and bulbous. Do not have a go at the eyes. That is a stigma <laughs> from the age. Of the <laughs> and he slaps it first. <laughs> Do we think that's how the brain stems of snakes work? And then he sets I think up so. a snake trap. <laughs> I set a little trap for our friends. And then that there's no there's no time between that and it happening. He he sets it up and then in a cut, the snake defeats the bad guy in the in the in the next shot. So there's no kind of time for it to even look kind of mildly intelligent or clever. Well, he does is mildly because he rips off the rattle, so they're not going to get warned. Well, by yeah, it. he bites it off, <laughs> doesn't he? <laughs> he's fucking stupid. He's not as daft as he looks. But when when he gets whistling to his uncle <laughs> and, and, and finds him, I, I last night I was thinking, what the fuck is going? What are we doing? What? 
where is this film taking me now? Because <laughs> it was just so unexpected. Yeah. I love, I love how, um, cause Pick turns into, uh, Billy from Predator eventually. He starts like, the train went past about two and a half hours ago. How do you know that? And he's just looking at a footprint. Like, they're about two hours ahead. He, he does and, have uh, a great line though. Uh, it appears your trophy is ripping us a new orifice. Yeah. Orifice. <laughs> yeah. But I love the way that, uh, he's like, line. we're on, we're on his turf now. It's like, Tiff? Like, oh yeah, because he was raised in the bayou. Like, that, that, that means that he's a man of the wilderness. Like, mm. he, he just so happens to be because his uncle's mental. Yeah. Uh, and he can make his I mean, own gin. Is it gin or vodka? It, it gets a bit yeah. Moonshine, doesn't it? The hand waves for that, where it's like, uh, so we have off screen voiceover of Lance Henriksen reading, oh, he was raised in the bayou by his uncle. And then we don't hear about any of this for the next like fifty minutes. And <laughs> yeah, <laughs> That's it. it's almost it. like they realized and put it in later. <laughs> and a, and a little bit of respect as well from Lance is like truly an exceptional target. Yeah, <laughs> and I wanted to say perhaps. A hard target. I was, I, was say that. I was waiting for the title. It, it does explain the accent a little bit. That that he's trying to. If that's his uncle, then it. I think they're trying to explain why Van Dam sounds that way. I believe literally why they shifted the location to to New Orleans. I don't think it was even be there. It's just that they needed yeah, an excuse to have a French accent, and uh, you know they figured Creole, Belgian, close enough. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, but Devlin, Devlin, correct me if I'm wrong. Like his early films, I I found his cadence and his dialect to be like easier to understand. He, he, he's, he's gotten worse. He's putting on like an he, accent here. He thinks this is what a Cajun accent should. Oh, I mean, at least oh, Wilfred Brim, Brimley's going all in. But yeah, Van Damme thinks that is actually what a Cajun. He's dropping a lot of articles like. in this one, yeah. and uh, I'm, we said earlier, like, is no one going to correct him? Like, you didn't say ah, uh, or you didn't say the. Yeah, like, but. <laughs> I guess I guess it's okay if he's, you know, affecting an accent. Well, John, we wouldn't have known. No, he definitely <laughs> wouldn't have known. Oh dear, I, I love Wil- Wilfred Brimley. He, he does. He injects something into this film because we've got those memorable villains in Pick and uh, and Lance. I'm not going to say Fusho or whatever. Um, I'll just call him Lance. Uh, and then. And then Wilfred Brimley turns up and talk about like only in the movies. This is why I love cinema. Only in the movies can Wilfred Brimley be Jean-Claude Van Damme's uncle. Like, there's no other way that that would ever actually happen. And the way he's just talking to him is like, oh, my boy. Like, <laughs> he does it and again. It's another commando line. He's like, did you, uh, I've got people chasing him. He's like, I smelled them. When he fires the first arrow, though, I know it was my opening line, but <laughs> I, I was just wetting myself. I think, what the fuck is this? Is bonkers. A real, it's an oddly live wire presence. I've never really yes, it's that fantastic. Also, yeah, you know, you're saying that he's riding the horse away from the fire. It's amazing. Oh my That's God. actually Wilford Brimley. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. it's him. Cause you, Matt said it, you can't really get away with much with slow mo because you see all the detail and that is fucking him. Yeah. Mm. And it's just, <laughs> what an image. Yeah. It's oh, it's so good. I John Woo directing love... Wilford, Wilford Brimley <laughs> in slow mo with a little bow and arrow. <laughs> I know. <laughs> with an explosion at the back. Mm-hmm. Well, all, the, all those explosions, even the way that Pick's like, get the, the fuck 
down. <laughs> like, they just know that it's a big trap, and it is all Home Alone stuff. Like the way the uh, the first arrow goes past Lance Henriksen's head, <laughs> yeah. it's just wicked. It's just so cool, mm. and it lands straight into the moonshine. It's uh, chaos it. immediately as well. That's what I love about this kind of stuff is that I think that's that's the the John Woo effect of like the orchestration of absolute mad chaos quite quickly in a scene. They escort Jackson, Jackson Pollock. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah, it really is. It works in that one. It's one of my favorite action sequences. It's just the, you know, just like you say, the madness and the fact that it blows up so hard, yet it's just a little wooden hut. Yeah. Uh, but it's like the explosion is massive. But there's one at the beginning as well with the bait hut. Um, oh, yeah. When that explodes, it's like, right, that's woo. You know, he really yeah. does that stuff like like no one else. They shoot mm. as well um, a police car siren on the top, and it, it literally <laughs> Simpsons esque explodes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> with, with milk milk written on the side of it. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's a guy that looks like somewhere between Cheech Marin and Andrew Dice Clay, and he gets um, kicked in the face, and his face kind of judders in a really weird way. That was another funny death. Well, that happens about four or five times. So, where, what's your tolerance on the slow mo kicking face Very stuff? High. Because is it? Uh, so you're you are, you're in on it. Nineties action, John Woo, it, all the way through is fine. And it's also, okay. doesn't like that's how he gets kicked to the chest and yeah. slow motion Coughs and yeah. like the proper. Well, you see, yeah, I think I think he's quite committed to this role. Is Lance and fair play to him? Yeah. I thought he did all right because I don't think there's a lot of motivation going on. Like we said, I don't know how much um, Wu could talk to him about his character. Like I I just tried to make a film recently in Korean, uh, and I don't speak Korean, which was difficult. So, um, you know, my partner, my producer had to translate and uh, interpret all uh, everything. So presumably John Wu had to have a crew of people around him uh, or, or at least have rehearsals mm. where the character discussions were that they got, they got over that before they got to the set and then they could just focus on technical things on the set, which I imagine is how this probably worked. I wonder whether that was something um, that Sam Raimi and Robert Tappert were doing on set. Could be, could be every day. And I know that um, that, that I read a really short little excerpt of an interview where Raimi was, was super keen to do it basically because obviously the studio thought they were bringing him in as an insurance policy. But for him, it was just that he really wanted to watch John Woo work. Right. But yeah, they were helping him. Yeah. That's really, um, really pleasing to hear as well. I think he was a big champion, wasn't he? During the entire production when they were getting slightly cold feet, probably thinking, Oh, actually, I mean, like you said, we said it earlier on in our discussion, but it's mental to think that any Hollywood studio would have trepidation about someone who's clearly got a proven track record in this thing. Oh, but but they might not be able to do it here. Do you know if he brought anyone over from Hong Kong or did he just go with an American crew? Like From from the credits, I couldn't really, I I don't remember. It's tough because the the scale of of the kind of, especially the fire and explosive effects, like you said, are so kind of, massive compared yeah. to this, for such a low budget film this the stuff that was happening at the time looks genuinely dangerous which is always a good thing for an action film um it mm-hmm. doesn't feel like it's got that sort of tame early 90s you know uh people jumping off the 
the boys like commando i guess always looks the silly oh, springboards yeah stuff. oh the old spring uh, the the a team stuff yeah, yeah. Like, none of that it's all some of it looks like a carbon copy of hard-boiled yeah. it's like to a lesser degree in in areas so i wonder if he just brought the techniques or maybe even brought like the recipe for these sparks because the sparks look identical yeah yeah, yeah. recipe <laughs> <laughs> whatever you call it <laughs> These are delicious sparks. <laughs> mm, these sparks. Mm. <laughs> salt and pepper, please. Mm. One of my favourite um, deaths is the can shot, and it's ah it's yeah yeah obviously because it's, it's a really great it's a really great sequence where he kicks the can and then shoots it. Yeah, but I just love the I love the body flying through the window because it, it <laughs> all I wanted to do was be like. I'll get you next time, Ed Sheeran. <laughs> 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 I, 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 I put oh. that in my mind was as it, he's flying through the I window. And I just think like, he's still stuck to the motorbike. <laughs> he's still <laughs> stuck to the bike. Well, he does <laughs> it again <laughs> in uh, Broken Arrow where the, the oh, nuke yeah. the nuke flies forward yeah. and takes Travolta out of the, the train carriage and it's still kind of attached to him. It's the same <laughs> same again. Oh, it's great. Well, it's like, it's like Looney Tunes stuff at that yeah, point and yeah. it's kind of fun. And I just love Lance Hamilton's reaction, which is like, get him, get him. And it, 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 like you say, he at that point, Lance has gone from like near dark brooding energy mm. to he's gone to 11. He's dialed up to 11. And, and even the, the back to back stuff with Arnold Vosloo, you know, it's really great. Like I think it's better than Nick Cage and Travolta, mainly because Travolta's too, uh, too plum, I think, to kind of get away with that stuff. Um, but, but that all kind of works. I know it's done in hard boiled. Um, but what did you think? Cause I, I felt bad when Pitt got killed. I wanted him to, is it bad that I wanted him to kill Chance? My main thing, Gally, was, uh, you know, the old action films tend to have a proper showdown and a fight between those two characters. Mm. And I really wanted that. So I was a little bit disappointed. I thought it was a cool death, but I really wanted, uh, Pick and Chance to, Proper fight, a, a proper duel. Yeah, yeah. Guns. Well, I, I mentioned fight. Some... Yeah, 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 yeah. Which would have been really in keeping with uh, that kind of John Woo and Western film, but uh, an old action film. But never mind. Yeah, like the the idea of it being a star maker film we talked about before, but that's something that Woo's later films didn't really suffer from for me. Like the stars were already there, so you have like. um in, in Face Off, you have Travolta and Cage, and then you have, uh, Christian Slater and Travolta in Broken Arrow. So it, it felt like, um, I, I wish, I wish there was a bit more star power behind it, but yeah, I, I would kind of, kind of agree with you. Yeah. I mean, people know Arnold Vosloo mainly from The Mummy, but they're not going to be like, oh, no, I can't wait to see the next Arnold Vosloo. Right, right. You're right. He's not, he's not a star at this point. And to be he's honest, he's a good with bad you, guy though. You know, he's formidable. No, he's a great and, bad guy. Great bad is, guy. A little bit disappointing for me to see that he, he defeated him with guns, like, you know, not an honorable death of breaking his neck or something. See, B- Busey but... would have fought him hand to hand at that point. <laughs> with some shrimp in his beard. <laughs> oh yeah. I'm proud of you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, brilliant. Mm. And there's a lot, there's a lot of somersaults, uh, going on, isn't there? Jumping it's... between the fires. Mm-hmm. A lot of just nameless, faceless goons as well, like, uh, when you see them, there's about seven, yeah. Yeah. and then at the end, there's about there's twenty. Yeah, but that's just kind of nowhere. And kind of, I'm all for that at the end of this. Film. I love the, uh, mm. the gang of like hunters that he brings in. It's like it's it's uh, you all have to pay me 
750 grand. Yeah. <laughs> to turn up in a shitty warehouse and get shot in the cock. <laughs> the, um, the, the, the bit where he gets, uh, stabbed in the chest with an arrow by Lance Henriksen. I fucking love that sequence where, um, mm-hmm. you see, uh, uh, Yancey and, uh, Uncle, Uncle Duvet, they're walking through and, um, Lance Henriksen's just been shot in the chest and like his fucking crazy, skull visage pops up behind the glass and he's the only oh it's a great shot isn't it um that's the kind of oh is that reflected is it reflected yeah it's the reflected shot it looks wicked whether uh they're reflected and he's actually behind the glass Ah, right he's lit up from the back whereas the rest of it in that and then he pops around and grabs her and just really brutally stabs uh uh wilford brimley in the chest with an arrow Mm. Well, you don't want to, you don't want to get into it and think and start reading too much into the wooisms, but, uh, it's like the, the devil comes out of the flames, doesn't it? Cause there's a weird, there's yeah. a weird editing going on. Once he's grabbed, uh, Yancey and he's just going like, ah, he does that, doesn't you. he? Later on, he's like, he's turning into a werewolf or something. That's <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's so weird. He's just like, it's like he's, it's like he's got like a real, a real severe case of in, indigestion. They exchange the, uh, the worst sequence of dialogue where it's like, how does it feel to be hunted? How does it feel to be hunted? Ah, you tell me! You should know better. There isn't a country in the world I haven't fired a bullet in. Ah! You can't kill me! Can't kill me. Well, that's right, though, Devlin, isn't it? Like, we've had no backstory, no motivation for Chance outside of he was once in the military and now he's got a mullet. And then his line of, like, poor people get bored too. It's like, oh, right, so that was the reason why you've been doing this this entire time. I never got that from your face, Van Damme. Never. Not once. And also the... the Load me. That was my sign-off line. Yeah, I was going to oh, do it. Oh, talk about sex, sexy lines and bullets. Like the way that she, her head's pointed down and you're like, oh, John, I know what you're doing. Don't yeah. do that. And then she grabs the bullet <laughs> like it's to me. Yeah, that's not very sentimental, <laughs> is it? That's a bit, a bit sexy for John Woo. It's a bit too sexy for I mean, Woo. I think it is to make him as kind of reprehensible and scumbaggy as you possibly Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It's, it's cool that they, uh, you know, that last sequence, like you said, that, you know, go from, generic uh spark filled industrial space to this bizarre kind of parade float kind of it's just it's really visually interesting space to to explore that you wouldn't have really seen before in a film like this and considering that they only make new orleans again just to cover up for their star's ridiculous belgian accent um pretty cool that they wove that in and you've got like the the score does the strange thing where they they play like uh like echoes, like ghostly echoes of hot mm. jazz. <laughs> yeah, as if it's as if they are talking to them. It's like a scary haunted house at that point. It's great. Um, yeah, uh, no, I agree. And the, it, again, woo with his doves doesn't doesn't Van Dam jump from a bird, a dove from above? So <laughs> shall we say the albatross? <laughs> yeah, the yeah. crow from below. <laughs> Donald Cox, that's what you find. <laughs> <laughs> right, well, I think that may very well be Hard Target. And, and we like to try and keep these episodes in line with the running length of the film. So uh, we we better get to our final thoughts and summary. So, Matt, I'll start with you. Final thoughts on Hard Target. 
Should our listeners seek it out? Wow. Uh, well, I think it's the, the preeminent action director in the world at the time coming to America, to Hollywood, to strut his stuff. And that sounds very appealing. But the thing is, he kind of rolls out some of the stuff he did the previous year in Hong Kong with Hard Boiled and kind of to a lesser degree, as we said earlier. So, you know, minus some of the action scenes, it's all a little bit flat. It's a little bit average. Um, I think if you have seen Hard Boiled, Hard Target might frustrate you a bit. But with any luck, you'll have the same experience I had, which was just switching off my brain and having fun with it. Uh, I think it embraces silliness and asks the same of the viewer. Um, it ticked a lot of action boxes for me. Uh, if you've seen Face Off and Broken Arrow um, and enjoyed them, then have a look. It's daft, but it's more of the same. Perhaps minus some of the star power we talked about. Um, I think Jean-Claude Van Damme's edging into Tommy Wiseau levels of self-importance at times. <laughs> kind of his arrogance and it's a bit misguided and there's a lack of self-awareness. But, you know, if you like the concept, um, you know, then, then go in for it. I, I do prefer something like Running Man. Um, I, I'd, I'd lean towards Arnie over, over Jean-Claude. Um, and the praise for this movie, like out there on Google was astounding. If, if you Google it, you can, you can read what some of these people make of it. Somebody called it a thesis on violence in the milieu of an industrial yet antiquated American South. Mm. Uh, so I thought that was sarcasm, but I, I, <laughs> I don't know. Um, if, if you want to watch a film where a man punches a snake, yeah, I think any social commentary is just consequential here. It's not really a big, grandly designed thing. There's no bleeding heart message or big meaning. Um, but yeah, I, I will tentatively recommend Hard Target, but just for a laugh, really. Uh, it, it didn't drag when I watched it. It's reasonably short. You'll probably have a giggle if you, you know, have a drink or three. Uh, it's daftness was like the major part of its appeal. So I'm not going to attack it for that. Um, I think that that's the best thing about it, like that absurdity. Uh, it's not dull. It is funny. It delivers on action. And I think Wu did all right. Um, you know, it's, it's not up to, you know, the level of some of his earlier Hong Kong work, but you know, that's, that's really exceptional stuff. So, you know, you can't blame him too much. So yeah, I'll, I'll wholeheartedly recommend hard boiled by Wu instead. Um, but I'd, I'd urge people who haven't seen his earlier Hong Kong work to see the killer and better tomorrow. And, uh, and I'd also put forward his American films as being slightly better than Hard Target, but you know, you've managed to squeeze a, a gentle recommend out of me here, Gally. So, um, yeah, bring, bring some alcohol and, uh, have a look at Hard Target. So yeah, I'll, I'll, uh, go over to Patrick next. What did you think, Patrick? I, well, it was, it was quite funny to see it after initially watching you, Devin Gally, um, when I really wasn't in the right mind frame after a night out. And there was something I've been thinking about quite a lot since we talked about Point Break, and this film falls in that category as well. I feel as though if I was younger or the first time I watched it, I may be a bit sniffy about films like this, um, especially Point Break. I, I know that for a fact, because when I was younger, I didn't really think it was very good dialogue-wise or kind of I didn't get the 
silliness or the absurdity of things that you can have fun with films that way. And maybe I wanted my films to be a bit more serious and take themselves seriously and be done better. Um, and this is an example of when I was in the right mood yesterday and I'm, I think I'm a bit more understanding of films like this now that I really enjoyed it. And I was having the right hoot with it because it, it's exactly what it is. Um, it, it was a bit unashamed. It was fun. It's, it's bonkers at times. And, but I definitely saw it as knowingly bonkers and silly, which is, which is perfect. Um, I want to watch it with you guys. I want to play bingo with it and drink along to when we see doves or stupid dialogue <laughs> or double, double gun shooting or flying through the air shooting sparks, oil drums flying in the air. Uh, my, my history with, with John Woo is always face off and mission possible, possible too. Mm-hmm. I, I do want to watch some of the early stuff. Matt, I've not seen hard boiled yet. Um, oh yeah, you really should. Film. I know I've, I've been aware of it for so long and I don't know how I've not got around to it. Mm. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to talk about this film because I just kept laughing at how stupid, you know, <laughs> when I watch Taken, I think Taken is a terrible film, but I love it because of how stupid it is. Mm. And I don't think this is a terrible film. I think it actually kind of looks good and is shot quite well, especially with the action. But it, that's the difference, isn't it? Taken, I think, wanted to be really something. Whereas this is just an exploration of Hollywood action cinema from uh, someone coming over, John Woo coming over, who really invented and introduced a new way of action at the time, especially in the 90s. It feels 90s to me, and I, I really enjoyed it. So thanks for uh, thanks for the bargain bin. Trips. <laughs> um, Devlin, have you uh, slapping your snake? <laughs> 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 um, I like hard target. Hard target. <laughs> it's um, it's exactly what you said, which is that it's a it's a deeply silly film that has no real pretensions of being anything other than what it, it is, which is uh, a showcase for uh for a, an action director who is uncommonly good at marshalling uh, a, a very um febrile atmosphere of insanity when he gets going uh and it seems that what they basically did was with the rest of the film just kind of try and carve away as much as humanly possible to leave a vaguely coherent story intact around it um we've seen with other john woo films that he does tend to run a little long and a little indulgent uh so maybe that's why this one doesn't come across with a great deal of personality um, something like Face Off, every time it's on TV, you always realize only once you start watching it that it's about three fucking hours long. Hmm. Um, so this is, is, is really trimmed down to, to the bare bones, which is, which works for what it is. It's, um, uh, I thought, I'd always thought of it as one of those films as a bit of an old reliable that you can just bang it on and, and much as we did when we were un, unhumanly hungover in Glasgow. That it feels like exactly the sort of film that you can just uh, switch off and drift away to, which is great. But um, watching it this week, early in the week, like straight after work, knowing that I had to watch it and actually pay attention to it and try and think about it for the podcast, um, I watched it across a Wednesday and a Thursday evening because I couldn't I couldn't get it finished on the Wednesday and maybe I'd had a pretty terrible week at work or something. And I I realized that it's not 
a film that if you're uh if you're not gonna uh vibe with it it's not gonna work for you uh it, it's not a kind of act all salve as some films are like it sort of annoyed mm. me a bit when i was trying to watch it when i wasn't really uh into it and that was the first time i'd had that and i think it's maybe because also i had a little notebook and i was sort of trying to force myself to to think about it and it made my head hurt a bit because i don't think you're supposed to mm-hmm. um it's uh uh it's not that the film is is stupid and it's not that the film is badly made it's really well put together in in its um it can, it's difficult to make a film like this but it shouldn't be difficult to appreciate a film like this i don't think i don't think you should really have to try very hard to like it you either are or are not on board with it um and maybe john woo's kind of stuff is his action style um we sort of forget how revolutionary it was um to be introduced to the the american market to be introduced to uh a chinese filmmaker for the first time ever and to think that what within seven years of the release of this, you go from having uh, Universal Pictures almost refusing to let him direct a whole film because they don't think he can handle it. I assume just for sort of basic racism, <laughs> you know, dressed up as as you know more high-minded business-like concerns, but largely that's what it is. Uh, and that from there, within seven years, you've got uh, Ang Lee coming across and and being able to release a high budget, completely Chinese language film like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. That can be a, a big Hollywood success. It's a really quick turnaround. And I think it was just a really great kind of um a window to this sort of filmmaking for a lot of people. It's John Woo's breakout kind of coinciding with Jackie Chan's first foray into American cinema as well. I think it opened a lot of people's eyes to um to a lot of films that they otherwise wouldn't have seen. So for that it's kind of great. Uh so yeah, it's as Matt said, it's a I think you've got to be in the mood for it. Uh but a couple of drinks and uh and ninety minutes of your time is, is well spent. Uh so yeah, I give it uh uh two snakes up. How about you? <laughs> uh very good, very good. Um yeah, no, I think uh I, I agree. I'm gonna just to touch upon what you were saying there about how quickly we go from John Woo, first Chinese director, to Ang Lee, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Um, this whole era of kind of Chinese influence, uh, in especially in action films, I think we forget, don't we, how quickly it, it kind of got sanitized and quickly became really uncool. And the moment for me was Lethal Weapon 4. The moment that you've got Mel Gibson... 60 year old and Danny Glover, 80 year old, probably not their ages, but <laughs> what they look like, um, beating up Jet Li in a kind of Chinese version lethal weapon film was when the game was up for this. And I think, uh, it took a while for it to kind of find its, find its feet again. Um, you know, the raid, raid two kind of came back and gave it another shot on the arm. Um, but yeah, I think John Woo unfairly at times probably gets lumbered in kind of hack territory because of his over sentimentality. The reason Matt, uh, that I think this one works, whereas say something like face off, though I enjoy face off, I do is because of the lack of star power and the fact that Van Damme, it's almost because I know where Van Damme ends up. This feels funnier to me because you said he's going into wise O territory. That's what makes this, mm kind of fit better you know that okay. lance Harrison is 
actually second build like that to me means that this film is easier for me to access. Whereas something like Face Off, where Cage and Travolta keep doing somersaults and the hair pieces are flying all over the place and most of the action stuff isn't with them, but they're there to just do the acting. Um, it's fun. It's goofy. Um, but I think John was trying to make a film at that point, trying to get you like emotionally invested in those characters. And those stars are clearly after that too. Whereas in this, Van Damme's like, just give me a line and tell me where I need to kick. <laughs> and that, and that's pretty much what he's into. And I like that. I like that about the film. And then all the other, all the kind of the Americana stuff that John Woo clearly only knows through watching films means that it, it's so weird and fun. So I really enjoy Hard Target. And it's, it's actually for the first 30 minutes, the bit that most people are like, skip. I'm like, no, I'm all in for like John Woo's version of what an American diner looks like in New Orleans with, gumbo and coffee and 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 just the fact that he's on a street and someone's getting in a car and he kicks four people's you know kicks someone through a window and no questions are asked so all that kind of stuff just makes me you know makes me smile no so i'm going to recommend it um so hard target is not available free to stream but you can purchase and rent on pretty much all the platforms right i i yeah, I've got uh, Amazon got here, yeah, YouTube, uh, Google Play, YouTube, Amazon, iTunes. Yeah. So that it is widely available. It's also for UK audiences. This is a Sony movie special. Like every couple of weeks, I'm pretty sure Hard Target manages to find itself on the schedule. Um, so it's one that does the rotation. Um, so you will you will be able to catch it. But for a 50th episode, we felt it necessary to do something that we could kind of laugh at, but also find some insight elevate it somewhat i think we did a good job didn't we i hope we did yeah good pick. I disagree. <laughs> you disagree <laughs> <laughs> um so we'll no, we'll go back to our normal programming although i would think that considering the time of year we may very well be stumbling into our christmas series so um we might drop a christmas episode on all y'all's asses cool well i think we'll we'll say our goodbyes then shall we chaps hunting season is over it's Gally in Glasgow signing out. Good whiskey, make Jack Rabbit slap the bear. Definitely <laughs> <laughs> in London. Hey, pigeon. It's Patrick from London. <laughs> Thank you. Your parents name you for bug. It's Matt <laughs> in South Korea. Oh, thanks very much for listening, everyone. And we'll catch you next time on the Rewind Movie Podcast. Yeah.